are you doing today? Good. Well, today's subject matter is going to be something that I, I'm going to presume that none of you will be able to relate to, okay? I'm assuming that most of you have not had an encounter like what I'm going to talk about, and that you may, some may not even know at all what I'm talking about. It is, however, a subject that I discovered in the Bible in uh, our, my journey and our journey through the book of Acts as we stop along the way and we look at selected passages. And so the subject this morning that I think you may, some of you may have no experience with and you may not understand exactly what I'm talking about, but the subject is disagreement. <laughs> so just to see if I'm talking to anyone here today or if I'm wasting my time, by show of hands, has anyone in the room ever had a disagreement with someone? So there's some of you and some liars in the room, right? <laughs> with a relative or with a neighbor or someone. And, and of course, now I know it doesn't ever happened at Bethesda, but some of you, maybe, you can put your hand down, sir, that's okay. <laughs> I know it doesn't happen in Bethesda, but some of you may have heard of someone who's actually had a disagreement with their spouse. Have you ever heard of that? No? Okay, I can still remember the experience of the first pretty significant and colorful disagreement that Becky and I had right after we were married. Can I tell this? How many want to hear the story? You want to see if our fight was worse than your fight. That's what you want to see. <laughs> we were in, uh, living in Rockford, Illinois, on staff at a church there, a very fine church, 20 years old. That was back, remember, when I knew everything? Remember how that goes? We were living in a little basement apartment, a very small little basement apartment. We had just been married oh, a few weeks. And I came home one day after being at the office, and Becky was whipping up the mashed potatoes. Now, here's what you've got to understand about Becky and mashed potatoes. Becky likes lumpless mashed potatoes. There can be no lumps, none, in the mashed potatoes. Anybody like lumpless mashed potatoes? Okay. okay. You don't have to applaud for that. That's all right. <laughs> That's the way she likes her mashed potatoes. And she was just ferociously going after these mashed potatoes. And I knew how she liked them, so I thought that made sense. And I walked in, and I don't recall what the statement was, and I doubt she would either. She might, but I doubt it. And I made some statement that apparently came across as less than a blessing <laughs> to her. I'm sure I was trying to be a blessing, but whatever it was, it did not strike her as being a blessing. And the next thing I knew, about 20 seconds later, she's just whooping those mashed potatoes. And all of a sudden, whatever spatula device she had, she picked up a big old glob of them and she went, bing! And hit me right in the eye. I'm just astonished at the things you ladies clap for. Where's the sympathy here? And so being the very mature, spiritually mature, long-suffering 20-year-old that I was, I had the thought that went something like this, ain't nobody going to hit me with a glob of mashed potatoes and get by with it. So I found another device of some kind, and I got me a glob. And let me just tell you, about three minutes later, 
the pan of mashed potatoes was empty. <laughs> they were in the drapes. They were in the furniture. There was mashed potatoes all over our little, it was very small, so it wasn't hard to fill it up. Mashed potatoes all over our little apartment and um, everywhere, let me tell you, everywhere. So for some reason, um, I, that story is indelibly etched in my mind. I, I can't imagine why. And what's funny is, neither one of us remember what it was about. We just remember, it, we end up kind of laughing over the whole thing because it turned out to be an interesting day. So, one of the best lessons I ever learned as a music professional was this. And I'm sure if you've been around, you've heard me say it before. That in most circumstances, there is more than one right way. In most circumstances, there is more than one right way. I had to learn that lesson very, very carefully, particularly when I was working with integrity music. I remember when it first came along. I was in the original five-man creative team. We met in Mobile for several different meetings, and my value to that committee was only if I had a different opinion than everyone else, and which was not a problem. I did that. I had a different opinion very easily than everyone else. But I learned very carefully how to be able to state my case and have my, uh, make my point and yet not make it necessarily argumentative. And so I learned very, very, the very important lesson that in most circumstances there is more than one right way. The sooner we embrace that idea, the easier time we will have getting along with other people and understanding that, yeah, mine is one right way, but they may have a right way as well. They just see it from a different perspective. How many know we don't all see things alike? Anybody know that's true? So this is going to be more, I want you to hang on to that thought. That's going to be more important as we, in, in about 20 minutes from now, okay? The reason the subject of disagreement has come up is because it's right here in the Bible, and it's in our journey through the book of Acts. And while it may seem somewhat surprising that God has placed it here, it reminds us, it reminds me just how real the Bible is in dealing with subject matter. And it's one of the things I love about the Word of God. The Word of God does not hide some of the raw, naked, and even less than pretty truth, things that happen in relationships in, in Bible days. And it doesn't hide the reality of what can happen in our relationships and the struggles that are there even to born-again believers, even to people who are committed followers of Jesus Christ. Some of those things can still happen. So there must be something here for us to learn today. Uh, so, and we, I want us to look at it as we're going to turn to Acts chapter 15, if you want to go there in your Bibles. Because obviously the Lord has placed it in the Word of God for us. Every word of Scripture is inspired by the Holy Spirit, given to men who were listening to the voice of the Lord and writing down every word as he gave it? How many believe the Bible is still the inspired word of God? How many believe we need to obey the word of God? I read, that makes me think, I read of a, of a um, I read some article in the last few days and it, it broke my heart that the truth is sweeping across America is basically a, a mindset that we take the Bible as a suggestion. That people read the Word, there's been some studies done on all this, they read the Word with a perspective, I'm going to look at it, and I'm going to see what it has to say, and I hope to get some inspiration from it, that's, uh, that's why I'm going to read it. But the truth is, whether I obey it or not is going to be my decision, and I'm not sure if I'm going to actually take it as truth that I should obey, or if it's simply going to be a suggestion. How many know we should obey the Word of God? It's not just a suggestion. 
It's what the Lord has placed there for us. There's truth there for us to get. And we need to not take the word of God as simply a suggestion. So let me bring us up to speed here uh, in the book of Acts. Saul has been converted on the road to Damascus, and he has become the Apostle Paul. The church, we know, as we've read and studied in our previous uh, chapters that we've looked, like, looked at, is growing like gangbusters, and it's proliferating even through, and particularly through the persecution that it was experiencing. And the church is now spreading out into the region in what is known to us as Turkey, Asia Minor in days of the Bible days, but what we know is, as Turkey. And Paul and Barnabas are on what we know as their first missionary journey. We know there will be others, but they are coming to the point of completion of this first uh, missionary journey. And we learn that, through, that though Barnabas was the older of the two between he and Paul, Paul somehow suddenly takes the lead in the whole situation and what they're doing in ministry. Because it's not based upon even who's been a Christian the longest. Ministry is not based upon even who's the oldest or who's the youngest. But it's based upon gifting. That's what ministry is based upon. And that's why it's so important in the church that we recognize and identify those that God has called and he has set apart and that they have gifts that God has given because the gifts come from him. Amen to that? Now, there have been several places that they have encountered problems in, in almost all of them, having been sent out by the church in Antioch of Syria. Uh, in many places where they preached the gospel and encountered problems, they had to simply leave the town by doing what? Shaking the dust off their feet and thus giving testimony against that town because it was so difficult to spread the gospel and to establish the church there. In other places, they found that, that the people there were planning to stone them because of the, way of the way they were presenting the gospel. And then in Lystra, Asia in the Bible, but Turkey to us, in Lystra, Paul was stoned. Now, he survived that, and they went back to the church in Antioch to give a report. They were sent out by the church, and they came back to the, by the local church, and they came back to the local church. That's because the Lord deems local churches to be very important. They really are. No one is a lone ranger. No one is an island unto himself. Anytime you hear of ministries that somehow have removed themselves from the local church in any way, be very, 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 very careful. I'm going to step on out here and say this. Christian television can be wonderfully inspiring, and there's some nice things that can take place. There's also some junk on there. Amen to that. We all have, we've all, we all have seen it. It's fine if we want to stream uh, services from different places that you happen to like, uh, the preaching or the music or whatever, and it's nice that we have that technology that we can do that. But all of that, hear me, church, is supplemental to the local church. It is supplemental. If you get a blessing out of that, that's great. But tr I just challenge you, don't try to convince me that you say, oh, I go to church at so-and-so, but the truth of the matter is it means you stay in your jammies and you watch it on your computer, okay? Because I've had some people tell me that. Don't tell me you're a part of that church because no one is an island unto themselves. We need each other. The church has been designed by the Lord Jesus Christ. It has purpose. We're not marbles in a bag. We're grapes on a vine. You've heard me say that. Amen? So no one's by themselves. No ministry can go on without being accountable, without being supported in prayer or in a place where they can be given guidance and counsel by, by people of wisdom. And so Paul and Barnabas came back and gave a report to the church. 
Now, I've told you as we go through the book of Acts that we're simply stopping now and again along the way to grapple with certain passages. You're, you can see clearly now we're not covering the whole of the book, but just certain places as we sense that the Lord is giving us focus. There is something here in chapter 15, if you have your Bible open, that is not going to be our primary focus today, but it's worth mentioning because it's another disagreement that has taken place. And it's, it's this. Let me see if I can give it to you succinctly. When, when they came back uh, to Antioch, when Paul and Barnabas had been all the other places, they came back to Antioch, certain Jewish believers from Jerusalem who used to be Pharisees came and started preaching a very troubling doctrine. Paul and Barnabas had, were not only converting Jews but, uh, to follow Jesus, but they also were converting Gentiles, which was a brand new thing. Now understand, the church is in its infancy. It's brand new. It's, 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 there's no precedent for this. And so they are forging lots of new territory. And so Paul and Barnabas, they were seeing Jews converted to Christ as well as Gentiles. And this was a brand new thing. But these men who came from Jerusalem with this strange teaching and from the mother church, they started preaching this. They started saying, to become a Christian, if you are a male, you must be circumcised. That's what we get here in Acts chapter 15. In other words, they're saying, to become, you have to become Jewish before you become Christian. That's what they were saying. But it was a new day, and we are not under the Old Testament law, which at one time had required circumcision. And Paul and Barnabas had a dispute with these men, and they got up right up in their face, and they said, no, 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 brothers, you're teaching something false. And then they went uh, to Jerusalem to the apostles to settle this matter and ask if they had sent these guys, saying to the apostles, did you send these guys to preach this gospel, that, that, that the men must be circumcised to become a Christian? And Paul and Barnabas told them, said, we're not preaching that message to the Gentiles. We're preaching Jesus and only Jesus. And I stop here to say this. That's always our message. It's Jesus and only Jesus, church. It's not Jesus and anything. Jesus and prosperity. Jesus and the faith movement. Jesus and what? No, it's Jesus. Jesus and only Jesus that we should be preaching. So the ruling was made that the Gentiles did not have to be circumcised and, uh, and you don't have to become Jewish to be a Christian. So Paul and Barnabas did a very wise thing. They're going to go back to the church in Antioch and, and take this report that the ruling has been made and they take with them two other men to, be, to confirm that this ruling has, has taken place. One is named Judas and the other one is named Silas. And so now they're back in the church in Antioch teaching and working and resting from the long trip. But then it happens. If you're looking at Acts chapter 15, the real dispute begins to happen. In fact, Scripture goes, and it's going to happen between Paul and Barnabas. The two guys have been traveling together, been doing all this stuff together, been building churches together, been working together for the kingdom of God. Scripture goes so far as to call it a sharp disagreement, or what you and I would call a heated argument. And I, I, I just find that curious, and if not maybe somewhat even encouraging, that even apostles can argue. Can you imagine that? We tend to have them so fixed in our minds that, you know, nothing ever went wrong. But no, even apostles argue. So let's look at it. Acts chapter 15. I'm going to start at, at uh, verse 36. After some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, who was his cousin. But 
But Paul dis disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus, an island in the Mediterranean. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. So they're back in Antioch, but Paul says, you know, we need to go retrace our steps. We need to go back through the route that we've come through on this first missionary journey to see how the churches are doing. And Barnabas says, okay, yeah, that's a good idea, but if when we go, we need to take the team that went with us when we started, which includes John Mark. That's who he wanted to go. And Paul said, no, 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 no way. We're not doing that. He's not going. Because on the first journey, when the persecution got hot, when the trouble came, and when they started getting threatened, and when, they, when the work got hard, you remember what happened. Your cousin, John Mark, deserted us. He says, I'm leaving. I'm, I'm out of here. I'm not going to take this. Barnabas says, no, no, no. He, he, he's got to go with us. Paul, he's the man. That, that won't happen again. Come on, give him a break. Paul says, nope. It's too much at stake, and we need help. Can't have people bailing out on you. And it became a heated argument. So here's what we see happens. Paul takes off with Silas on the next missionary journey, which we'll read about soon. And Barnabas went off with Mark to the island of Cyprus. So what do we learn from this story? What's here for us today? What's, um, what, what should we be getting from this? So it's, it's the so what. So what about this, Dan? Well, we've got Paul. We've got Barney. And we've got poor John Mark. So what's the point? Well, we're going to talk about each of those guys, Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark, in just a second from the perspective of each. But before we do that, I've got a couple tiny little sidebars I, I want us to notice as we look at this passage and see what the Word is saying to us. First of all, do you notice the care that they had for the new believers and the courage to go back and visit them? Paul and Barnabas are talking, and Paul says, let's go back to the places where we were. And, and Barnabas says, hey, Paul, you remember what happened? Why do, you want to, why do you want to go back? You got stoned in Lystra. You got threatened in Iconium. And we barely escaped from Antioch and Pisidia, Derby, and some of the other places. And Paul says, no, no, no. I, I got to see how the new Christians are doing. It doesn't matter what all happened. I don't, I don't care about all that. I'm not afraid. We, because we've got to see what happened to them. Because they matter to me. They're, they're, they're family to me now. We're joined together. And I need to see that they're being strengthened in the Lord. That they're growing from grace to grace and from glory to glory. That's what matters most. All that other stuff, I'm not worried about that. Because we are family and I'm joined with them. And I said it a moment ago, but it reminds us the importance of being joined together in the church and I may harp on this quite a bit, but I'm going to do it again because I'm not sure I can say it too much. This impersonal Christianity that some of us are practicing, where you just stop in for an hour, hour and a half at a local church somewhere, and you go and hear it, and you check it off your list, and you go home, and you go on back to your, your other life or your, your non-church life, you know what? That is so sad. And it breaks God's heart. It's wonderful that you come to a worship service but healthy Christian living involves, in the most basic form, at least three things. Worship, connect, serve. Say it. Worship, 
because the truth is this. The big weakness of a room like this is it's wonderful that we worship together. We're inspired by the choir and the worship team. That's wonderful. But there's a limit to how much we can connect with each other. And we are designed to be in community with each other. That's even how God works out his plans and purposes in us and works out stuff in us. There's a big place for say amen. I thought you had to get a big amen right there. You know, some of us say, well, I, you know, Dan, I, I try to connect group. I try that. I, I, I just didn't like it. Those people were weird. They were just weird. It's funny. They said the same thing about you, but okay. You know, we don't really think we're selfish until we get married, do we? And then have kids. You want to find out, you, just, you find out really how selfish and self-centered you really are. Once you get married and you have to live for the pleasures and, and wishes of someone else, you realize how self-centered you are. And, well, in, in a different sort of way, when you get involved in a community, that's when things start surfacing that might be uncomfortable. You might not like it. But the truth is, that's God's way of dealing with us. Oh, I feel the love in the room now. <laughs> it's exactly what happens. I don't know why we take that, that, that verse. It's so popular. People like it. As iron sharpens iron. We like that verse because it sounds good or whatever. But that's a violent process. Sparks fly. Fire can take place. As iron sharpens iron. But that is exactly why we are to be in community, so that we can support one another in prayer. We can encourage each other. We can even help people in all kinds of ways. We can be a blessing. We can nurture them. We can care for them. It is so important that we are involved in, in connect groups and in community, and it's also important that we serve. So they're saying, you know, no, Paul says, no, I've got to go back. I've got to see what's happened. Because who's going to help the believers? Who's going to help those that are struggling and going through valleys? You know, that's the same thing here. That's why we need you involved in, in the small groups, in the home groups, in the connect groups. Because who's going to help the people that you could help and connect with them? We can't hire enough. This church nor any other church can hire enough pastors to deal with all the needs that there are in the people. That's why we need everyone doing their part. So notice the concern that they had. How are the folks doing? Are they discouraged? Paul wants to know, has the enemy come in? They have concern for each other because you can't live in your own bubble. Not only their concern for the, the people that they had won to Christ, but also notice with me the courage, this other little sidebar I have. The courage with no concern for their own lives or regard for the problems they encountered. Just ready to do everything they could for the sake of the gospel and to strengthen the church. Oh God, give us more people who are willing to be bold enough to lay all their personal interests aside and to say, I want to do everything I can to strengthen the church. How many of you think that's an important thing? God, give us bold people who say, it doesn't matter the cost. I want to do what's necessary to strengthen the church. So that's, they had this conversation. But then they go their separate ways because of this argument. And so I want us to quickly as, analyze the three of them and see what the Lord would say to us today. Because you've got Paul in his position. You've got Barnabas in his position. And you've got John Mark. We'll look at those very, very quickly. Paul's position was this. Before you go into battle, you have to test your metal. You have to test your armor. If you're going to go into battle with an M16, what do you do? You clean it and you check it. Why? Because you can't find out in the heat of battle that something doesn't work. That's not the, that's not the time to find out. Am I, am I right or wrong? 
you know, for all the years that I was involved in producing the um, Christmas production here at Bethesda, 30, 33 years we did that. We had lots of soloists through the years. God has always blessed this fellowship with many great singers, and we had wonderful soloists, and, and I think particularly some of the younger ones that, you know, that we had. So it was my job to decide who was going to sing the solos, and I was always put, always got me in hot water because for every solo that you assigned, there were 10 people who wished they had gotten it, and you, you, know, you, you can't win that battle, so you understand that's the case. So who ended up getting it? It was the person that I knew in the heat of battle wouldn't choke. It was the person that I knew they could, all of them could practice wonderfully well. All of them could probably sing it just terrific in the choir room or just sitting in here with me at the piano. They could all do it well. But it was one that I knew could handle their nerves in the heat of battle when they got in front of this room packed full of people. They could handle their nerves with that and still deliver extremely well because I learned that not everybody can do that. So, so relate that to sports as well, many of you who are sports fans. You know that there are many athletes who practice extremely well, basketball players who hit the net every time, absolutely every time. But you get them in front of 10,000 people, 12,000 people, and they freeze, they choke, and they can't do it. And so what Paul is saying here is, we've got to know, I don't want him to go because I can't count on him. Based upon what he's done in the past, he's going to choke when the, when the battle comes. How do I know he's going to even stick with us? There's, there's no way that I, can be, that I can be assured of that. And when we needed him, when we needed John Mark, he saw the threats and he started hearing about them wanting to stone someone. And when he saw the plots to get rid of us, he said, no, I got, I got to go. And he left and he quit. Now, there's truth to this. And the truth is, I don't have any problem seeing Paul's position. I bet many of you don't either. Because we understand that people have to be tested before they're given a position in the church. They have to be tested. The Bible makes that clear in the, book, in the books of Timothy and Titus. Paul says before you make someone a deacon, which basically means servant or one who serves, before you make them a deacon, they've got to have a reputation that they've, to some degree, got it together. Do they have one spouse or do they have quite a few right now? That's always a question that you need to make sure that you've got solved. Do they parent their children well? How do they pass that test? Do they seem to have the appropriate authority over their children in raising their children properly? That's another part of the test that says is there. How are they in regard to worship, connect, and serve? Are they connected to the fellowship? Are they involved in service? What do we see them putting their hand to do on their own? What, what, are, what are they volunteered for? Do we see them, uh, how, have, how have they built their portfolio within the fellowship? We look at that. Do we see them at the prayer service on Sunday night or at least one of the many prayer gatherings that are around here? Because why would we as a church put someone in leadership who's not interested in prayer? Why would we do that? Makes no sense. Amen. If they have no concern for praying with the fellowship and being involved with those of us who pray. So if you aspire to leadership, you've got to be faithful. You have to have some proven track record. So Paul's position was this. Mark's track record, not so good. How do we know he won't bail on, out on us again? And you see his, I see his point. Do you see his point? I see his point. So let's look at the position of Barnabas. Barnabas says, oh, Paul, he's young. He became afraid. He got scared. When you hear talk of being killed and you're, you're young like that and, and hear talk of a potential being tortured and stoned, that can have an effect on you. And yeah, he turned back. But God is a God of a second chance. I said, God is a God of a second chance. And he's a God of a 200th chance. 
And he's the God of a 2,000th chance. And there are many in this room who's proved that he's a God of many more chances than that. And how many are glad about it today? So that's what Barnabas is saying. Come on, give the kid a break. He got scared. You see, Paul's strength might have been working against him. Because people who are strong in a certain area tend to be intolerant or at least lacking in compassion of those who are weak in that same area. And we are not all constructed the same. We do not all have the same strengths and weaknesses. And while I'm talking about my wife, let me give you one more example. You get all the sympathy in the room. I don't know why that is. Becky has a flawless sense of direction. She has this built-in GPS that is, you know, she's, she's almost never wrong. It's, in fact, it's uncanny. So it's very easy. I just drive, get off at this exit, turn left. It just, you know, I learned years ago because she's very, very good. I, you know, she can remember, you know, this tree was here, that sign was there, this building was I don't know how she does it, but she's got, she knows exactly where she's at. We've even been in Europe where the streets are like crooked, not, you know, not a grid, north, south, east, and west. And she can like go, we're going that way. Any given time, I can say, okay, Miss Marty Pants, where's, the, where's our hotel from here? She goes, right back there. Now, with that, as strong as she is in that area, with that comes just a tiny, teensy bit of lack of compassion. <laughs> did, I do, did I say that good? For those who, don't, who can't find straight up, you know. My mother, God love her, and I know, Mom, you're probably listening to this message. My mother can't find straight up. I've told you this story before. If, you know, if she knew how to get from the, her house to the church and from her house to the grocery store, but if she had to get from the church to the grocery store, she had to go back to the house first <laughs> to get there. Sorry, Mom, I love you. But Becky's extremely strong in that area, and to her, it's so simple. She'll go, don't you know, because you know, I can be driving and totally go the wrong direction. Why are you going this way? Well, because I just think this is where I, are we going that way? No, we're going that way. And why don't, you know, how can you not know? Don't you remember that tree? <laughs> we're not all constructed the same. How many know that's true? We're not all constructed the same. We all have areas that are weak for us. I have many areas in which I'm not so hot, and my guess is you might have one or two that you're not so hot in either. I can't remember the word. A friend of mine that I've worked with for years who speaks Spanish and sings in Spanish, maybe, maybe you'll know, Will, can help me. There's a Spanish word, though I can't recall it, that basically means everybody has something that is not convenient for them. It means it doesn't come easily for them. Everybody has something that just is not, do you know what word I'm thinking of? No, okay. <laughs> I'll have to call my friend Damaris and ask her what that, what that word is. She'll say, everybody has something that's not convenient for them. And so the position of Barnabas was this. Let's give the boy another shot because God is merciful. And Paul, Paul argued saying, no, I can't count on him. I can't, I, when, the, when, the, when the heat came, he left. You know, there's another encouraging lesson from this, which, this passage, which is this. Even apostles can lose it from time to time. And that's encouraging to me. The argument was heated and it brought separation between them. Doesn't really sound much like the plan of the Lord, does it? Doesn't sound like something he really should have put in the Bible. But isn't it amazing how the Lord can take something negative that happens, like this argument, and turn it into a positive? 
How many know God can take even a curse and turn it into a blessing? Let me tell you what I'm talking about. Now, we don't have just one missionary team. Now we have two. That's just like the Lord to do that. He can take something that was even so negative. What the devil meant for, for evil, God meant for good. And that's true for you and I as well. What the devil means for evil in your life, God means for good. Now, don't raise your hands on this, but how many of you have had the experience that's known only to you and God where you've made mistakes and you've messed up, but God even took that and turned it around for good? You don't have to raise your hand, but just think about it for a second. Things that you know were a mistake on your part. It's a total mess up, but somehow God is such a merciful God, such a wonderful God, he can even take our mess ups and turn it around. So I get Paul's point, I see his argument, and I see the position of Barnabas also, I understand that. Remember what we said earlier, there's more than one right way. Barnabas was rooting for someone who had messed up, because you know what the world does when you mess up? The world tosses you aside, am I right about that? It tosses you completely aside. And how great it is to have a Barnabas in your life when that happens. When you've messed up, we all need a Barnabas around us. You know what his name actually means? Barnabas' name means son of encouragement. Son of encouragement. Oh, that we would all become encouragers. Oh, Jesus. Let us all understand the value and the importance of being encouraging to each other. We all are in need of it. There's people sitting on your pew that need to be encouraged. There's people that you're going to bump into as you leave the sanctuary today. They just need you to say, you know what, brother, you're going to make it. I'm not going to make it. Work is tough. Things are bad at home. You're going to make it. You're going to make it because I'm going to pray for you. Come on, let's pray right now. Someone who will just encourage you and say, you know what? You are going to make it because you've got the Lord on your side. The Lord is with you. That's why you're going to make it. And I know the circumstances may look bad, but you know what? It's not always going to be dark. Someday is going to come along and the sun's going to shine again and you're going to make it. You're going to feel the fire in your soul once again. Come on, be an encourager. What would it cost you today, church, just to speak a word of encouragement to somebody? Reach out beyond your own issues and all the stuff that you're feeling, all the stuff that you're dealing with, and encourage someone else. Oh, God, make us a church of encouragers. Am I right or wrong about it? So you got Paul, you got Barnabas, and then here's John Mark. You know what? When you fail, that's when the devil comes to knock you out. How many know that's true? Right about the time you're down, the devil comes to completely knock you out. Paul goes on that first trip, Mark, I'm sorry, Mark goes on that first trip and he gets afraid. Have you ever been afraid? I've been afraid many, many times. And so Mark, look what he has to do. He leaves and he has to go back early with everyone wondering, everyone wondering why, why, aren't you with, why aren't you with Paul didn't, Paul and Barnabas? Didn't you, weren't you on that tr trip with them? Going with everyone? Yeah, you know, things didn't work out. Well, what happened? Oh, rather not talk about it. Well, what, what happened? And so he's got to face up to all of that. He's got to go back early with everyone wondering why he's not with Paul and Barnabas. Now, notice with me that Mark doesn't appear to be a number one man. He makes a better number two man. And how many know we need both? Not everybody can be a number one man. Sometimes you need a number two man. And there's no shame in being a number two man. In fact, it's honorable when you recognize that your, your place is to support someone else. You know that's the way that God designed you. That's the way God gifted you. You have that inner push that you're to be a support. You, 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 you find gratification and, and satisfaction in helping someone else who's, who's, who's the number one person out there leading. There are many people that are like that, and I thank God for them all. Some are called to, be, to leadership, but they're called to be helpers. 
Maybe that's you. Maybe you've wrestled with your identity in ministry. Well, I, I'm, I'm, Dan, I'm not a leader. I'm just not, I'm not, okay. God still can call you to ministry, but maybe you're to be a helper to those who are in need. So Mark was not the number one guy, but he was very valuable because we all have value to God. Say that with me. We all. Mark had to face his failure in front of the others, which is most likely why God put Barnabas, son of encouragement, in his life to remind him that he can get up. Mark had to get his faith back after he had had this failure and his faith back to remember this, that God can use you even after you mess up. How many are thankful today that God can still use you even after you mess up? First of all, by a show of hands, is there anyone in the room who has messed up? Still have a couple liars in the room. Okay. <laughs> if we get nothing else from this passage this morning, church, we should get this. Just because you've messed up doesn't mean you're done with ministry. Just because you've fallen, just because you've given in to whatever you've given in to doesn't mean that God can't still use you. He still loves you. He wants to bless you. He wants to use you. I don't care how you've messed up. It doesn't matter to me how you've messed up because the blood of Jesus cleanses us all from unrighteousness. It doesn't matter if you bailed out because of fear or because of some fleshly lust or, or because of losing your temper, whatever it is that caused you to, to quit and bail out because we have this treasure in earthen vessels. Now, I'm not saying this to excuse wrong behavior, but I am so glad that there is life after failure. I am so glad I said that there is life after failure. I think I heard for many years around this place, failure is not final in God. Come on, let's give the Lord Jesus thanks for that today. The devil wants to identify you as a mess up. He wants to put a banner on you that says you're a failure. Look what you did. At the critical moment, you bail out. You left your brothers there to do all the work. They needed you. You left them in trouble, but you wimped out. And that's the way the devil wants to identify you, wants to put that banner, that mark over your face. I may have had my moments of weakness. You may have had your moments of weakness, but it still stands true. I'm a child of the king. His royal blood now flows through my veins. And I, who was wretched and blind, now can sing, praise God, praise God, I'm a child of the king. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He loves us. He has a plan for your life, and it doesn't matter how you've messed up. It does not mean that your life is over. It doesn't mean your ministry is over. It doesn't mean the thing that you enjoy doing in the church is over just because you've messed up. If you're here today and you've got a call on your life and you know that you do, please don't back away just because you've messed up because every one of us in the room have messed up. If you knew the stories of, if we could know the stories of all of us in here, and thank God we, we don't know them, thank God we can't know them, but if we knew the stories, there would not be one person in the room who, who, would not, who, would, who, could, who could not say, I've messed up. We've all messed up. But thank God he still uses us after, after we've messed up. And so if that's true for you today, let me be your Barnabas. Because I want to be the son of encouragement to you. And I want to say, get up. Get up. Get up. I don't care how you've, how you've fallen. I don't care what you think you've done that now disqualifies you. Some of you have been laying in that sort of a state for a long, long time. It's time for you to get up and get back in the body of Christ and do what the Lord has designed and called you to do for the glory of the name of Jesus. Because he's greater than your failure. He's greater than your failure. 
He can work through you in ways that you can't even imagine, even through the things that you did wrong. He can take your mess-ups and turn them around for His glory. It's amazing what our God can do with those of us who have this treasure in earthen vessels. In closing, I want us to notice just a couple of things. You can come, Pastor Brent, if you want. Just a couple of things about how Paul and Barnabas handled this heated argument. I want you to pay very close attention to this, how it played out afterwards. First of all, notice that neither Paul nor Barnabas quit serving the Lord. Neither one of them did. It does not tell us that in Scripture, that they quit serving the Lord. The other thing, we don't get from Scripture that they, they, that they quit the ministry. Because they both understood that the work of God, the work of Christ, was greater than either one of them. And they knew that. They had that firmly established. Just because they didn't see eye to eye on that issue, and they had the heated discussion, and they had to part company, they still understood what their mission was, what they were called to do. We don't even get an indication that they took out time, took time out to, to heal. I'm not opposed when people have been in devastating circumstances. There are times that you need to draw the shades and sit in a dark corner of the sanctuary where no one will see you, slip in late and leave early. I know that sometimes you get in a short season for that, but they don't have to stay there, church. If it's a season of healing for you, then let God's healing come. Go diligently, faithfully, more aggressively before the throne of grace and say, God, I want to be healed because I want to get back in the game. I want to get back at this. There's too much stuff that has to be done. And I want to be what you called me to be. Another thing they did not do is they did not nurse their disagreement. They didn't get on Facebook, neither one of them, Paul nor Barnabas, didn't get on Facebook and say either direct or veiled things to all of their friends that would cause them, all their friends, to then get on and say, oh, darling baby, it really wasn't that bad, to make them feel better about themselves. Does that tell you how I feel about Facebook? You've seen it. People get on, they get either a direct thing or some veil thing on there that they hope all their friends will pick up on. And then hopefully they'll say it in a way that will cause everyone to go, oh, precious baby. Yes, you look precious. Look at that. How could somebody say that to you? Paul and Barnabas didn't do that. They were too classy to do that. Can I just say this, church, for crying out loud, don't air your disagreements on Facebook. Have better sense than that. Because other people don't know how to read what's happened. You're giving them one side of the story. Give them the other side of the story too. Because there's more than one right way. Don't air your stuff on Facebook. Paul and Barnabas, they didn't feel sorry for themselves. No indication that they allowed themselves to become bitter. Because bitterness causes us to lose our impact for an effective life for the Lord. I said bitterness causes us to lose our impact an effective life for the Lord. It's so easy for us to allow a root of bitterness to grow. And there are ways, we'll talk about this some other time, there are ways you can identify if you have allowed a root of bitterness to grow. But the main thing I would say is this, is whatever it is that you're dealing with, that you're bitter over, has it caused you to lose your passion for Jesus in any way whatsoever? Has it lessened your intensity in worship? Has it caused you to sort of glaze over when you read the lyrics that are on the screen that remind you how wonderful Jesus is and just kind of goes over you? 
It's possible you've got a root of bitterness that you need to deal with. Paul and Barnabas didn't, neither one of them had that. No, no indication in Scripture that they allowed themselves to become bitter even though they had this disagreement. They didn't nurse their disagreement and they did not rehearse their disagreement. They didn't gossip about it or spread it to others. We don't read in the Word that as, uh, as Paul and Silas left and went their way and Barnabas and Mark left and went their way, there's nothing in there that tells us that when they got to their next cities and their respective places wherever they were, that they were bashing the other team. They, they, didn't, they didn't rehearse what had gone on. They went on. One more thing. Finally, time goes on and Paul makes all these missionary journeys. Now he's writing his last letter. He's in, the, he's in the prison. And he says, I'm going to die soon. <clears throat> I fought the good fight. I finished the race. And he suffered all kinds of things. And now he's at the end and he's ready to give final words. And so it's in 2 Timothy chapter 4 that he says this. Now just imagine, he's been through all these missionary journeys. Had this separation with Barnabas over the Mark issue. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, he says, Timothy, he's writing to Timothy, young Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and he's gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus, he's gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is, only Luke is with me. He's the only one left. So please come as soon as you can, Timothy. Oh, and by the way, would you bring Mark with you when you come? because he will be helpful to me in my ministry. Bring Mark when you come, because he'll help me. You mean the guy who failed, that Mark? You mean the guy that Paul gave up on? Is that who he's calling for? We don't know. Maybe Paul's saying he was wrong. Maybe this was Paul's way of saying he was wrong. I read all the commentaries. I did all my research. No one's trying, no one tries to say who was right and who was wrong in this story. He says, send him to, to me now because he's so helpful. Paul had come to see that Mark could be helpful. He says, and God uses him in incredible ways. I've seen what the Lord can do through that boy. Would you send him to me? And church, I say this to you today. God's going to bless you and use you no matter how you fail. And it can, it's going to be said of you. Would you send her to me? Would you send him to me? Because they're so helpful to me. Because I've seen God use them in incredible ways. Bow your heads with me, please. Close your eyes. Hopefully something I've said today in this message has resonated with you. Maybe you've had a sharp disagreement with someone and it has really set you in an awkward or difficult place. Maybe you've had an enormous sense of failure for whatever reason. You've allowed past defeats to paralyze you. I'm not going to call anyone forward today, but I am going to ask you to stand if you want to be included in the closing prayer today. Possibly you're saying, Pastor, today in a way that is only known between God and myself, I want to get up. I want to get back on the path of being what God has called me to be and what God wants me to be. Yeah, I failed and I messed up. And I have somehow allowed my failures to paralyze me and to somehow make me feel that I'm branded as a failure, I'm branded as a mess up. And I don't want to stay there. 
because I want to believe based upon what we've seen in the Word of God today from the book of Acts chapter 15 that God can still use me because He's the God of a second chance. If that's you, would you just stand so I can pray for you? Anybody in the room? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. I'll wait a moment. If Mark could fail and God could still use him in the future, then he can do the same for you. 